Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. All right, at the Libertarian Christian Institute booth at Freedom Fest Memphis, I am with Connor Murnane, who is with FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. How you doing, Connor? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I love what you guys are doing here. Yeah, what do you do at FIRE? I'm the Director of Engagement Mobilization. It's a new department. Just over a year ago, FIRE expanded our focus from just higher education to free speech nationally while keeping that same higher ed focus. You know, mm-hmm. we kept all the staff members there. So with that expansion, we wanted to find a way to get our supporters involved, but also empower folks across the country to defend speech in their community. Okay. So it's the closest thing we have to a grassroots comms team. Okay, all right. So I know that your name was Foundation for Individual Rights in Education yes, a while back. I don't know, it was a couple of years June ago. June 2022. Changed. June 2022, mm-hmm. it changed to expression, which I really love because it's like, everybody needs to get out there and preach this message. Mm-hmm. This is probably one of my top three issues that mm-hmm. I stand on. And I'm going to ask you a question uh-huh. that's a challenge. I have a shirt. It's the shirt you guys are giving out here. Mm-hmm. It's uh, free speech makes free people. Yes, sir. If I put that shirt on and I go to the airport and take my flight and I have somebody come up to me or you're wearing it, I'm going to ask you, you're wearing that shirt. Someone comes up to you and say, well, what about hate speech? Or what about speech that offends and triggers people because of whatever? How do you talk to them about that? There's three avenues of free speech I look at. There's free speech law, right? You just covered it. Mm -hmm. Harassment, Supreme Court Davis standard, true threats, right? There's legal precedent to provide definitions and boundaries for speech in this category. With this expansion, we focused a lot on the second category, a culture of free speech or free expression. The idea that, you know, we want people to be able to express their views without fear of reprisal, you know, being met with more speech, not censorship. Mm -hmm. And we want institutions, norms, and policies to reflect that. And then the third one, which, you know, I I talk about more than fire as an institution, but free speech decency, right? You know, I could go home and tell my wife she looks ugly in that dress, but I'm not going to do that because, you know, I want to, you know, sleep in my bed tonight. (laughs) So it's these three avenues that kind of create the free speech message. So you have the law to cover exactly what you said, threats, and we need Supreme Court cases. We need court cases to continue building off this precedent. We just had 303 Creative and Counterman versus Colorado, which further defined true threats, which was great. But that free speech culture is a bit harder. And feel free to stop me if I'm rambling here. But something we found in this expansion is that once you start connecting free speech to movements they care about as an individual, it's almost a, you know, suddenly free speech support becomes selfish. So when we launched this expansion, We did a lot of market research to see who out there could be persuaded. And something that blew me away, 18 to 30-year-old college-educated Democrats had one of the highest likelihood to be persuaded to support free speech if you could meet them on their ground. So we started doing a lot of advertising work in, you know, the civil rights movement, LGBTQ movement, Black Lives Matter. Even if you don't support it, the right to protest, the right to speak, the right to assemble, it connects. And once you start showing them Mm -hmm. that all the movements they care about were only possible because of first member protections, you watch it click and you watch them start coming over. So, you know, I call it that selfish support of free speech. And obviously I, I would like them to not just think what the First Amendment does for me, but it's a good first step. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's really good. I mean, the culture of free speech is really kind of a key topic in libertarian mm-hmm. circles. It's mm-hmm. also kind of a cultural talking point. So you said that was the one that you tend to focus on a lot. 
Yeah, it, especially with the expansion. Right? Yeah, yeah, you know, okay. Because at the end of the day, people look at Supreme Court cases, but it's not a, you know, it's yeah, not yeah. going to affect them in their day-to-day yeah. lives. But you know, how they interact with their neighbor, how they interact with their community, how they view others. Do they vilify someone they mm-hmm, disagree mm-hmm. with based on an idea, or are they willing to engage? Right? You know, the minute you try to censor your way to a conclusion is the minute you assume all progress on that issue is done, yeah, right? Yeah. Free speech is about progress. So if you can't talk about something, if you can't engage with someone whom you don't, you don't perfectly agree with, we're gonna stall as a society, not just in politics, but in culture and the arts and you know everything from TV to a book. <laughs> Do you see the move against free speech? I mean, it's been pejoratively identified as a white issue. And obviously you and I can sit here and laugh that off, roll our eyes and be like, yeah, whatever. But how do you deal with that on a more serious level? Because I think it is a question a lot of people ask. So I, I don't think there's a better advocate for free speech than Frederick Douglass, right? Back in just before the 1860s when the abolition movement was going real well. Well, not real well. They needed a civil war to get there. Sure. But there was an abolition event in Boston that was rioted down. I think some people were injured and killed. A few days later, Frederick Douglass comes to Boston and gives one of the best speeches I've ever read. And in it, he says... Free speech is this great, important value. The minute you riot and suppress the speech of another, you're striking two wrongs. You're infringing on the right of the speaker and the right of the hearer. And then he ends the speech by going even further. He says, if this country practiced a true belief in free speech, had a true free, a mm-hmm, culture of free mm-hmm, expression, mm-hmm. the slave block would be gone in five years. Right? So you can look at this trend of the civil rights movement, the abolitionist movement. Free speech is at its core from Frederick Douglass to Martin Luther King. Even today, you know, someone like Killer Mike, Michael Rendon, the rapper, the grassroots activist, is out there talking about the importance of free speech. Yeah. So you can point to folks in any community you can imagine and connect their movements that gave them more rights, that gave them a more equal footing in this country with a free speech idea. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's telling the story that hits them at home. Yeah. Hey, folks, I just want to take a break from our episode to not do an advertisement because we don't do advertisements, although I guess you could call this an advertisement. I'm going to ask you to consider becoming an LCI insider. We want everyone to feel engaged and excited about what LCI is doing. And the best way to do that is if you become a monthly supporter at $20 or more per month, you will become what we're calling our LCI insiders. You get some free gifts. You get an exclusive Crisis King magnetic lapel pin. We give you two copies of Faith Seeking Freedom. We send monthly ebooks months ahead of when they're released on our public website. You can get discounts on our swag on our online store, and you get exclusive invites to our quarterly live streams with the LCI staff. In addition to that, whenever we do publish something like a physical book like Strangers with Candy, we'll also send you those as well. So the best way to stay up to date on what we're doing and to support what the Libertarian Christian Institute is doing, including supporting the podcast you're listening to right now, is to become an LCI insider. So to do that, go to libertarianchristians.com slash donate and then choose recurring monthly gift and you'll be added to our list automatically. Thank you for your support and I'll let you get back to the podcast. Do you see the move against free speech as a little bit connected or ends in thought control? Yes and no, right? Free speech is always a tool of the minority. The minute you have 51%, you don't need speech. You have, mm. you have popular will, right? So the pendulum is always going to swing. In the 60s, it was liberals on college campuses doing the, some of the best work out there for free speech. Now on college campuses, you know, at FIRE, we'll talk about having a marriage of convenience with conservatives on campus <laughs> for the past decade or so because they've been yeah. the minority. Yeah. So as long as, you know, that ebbs and flows, I think you're always going to have those questions on, you know, thought control 
control, but it's it's just popular will trying to you know yeah, do okay. its thing. Okay. But popular will has its issues getting to the best policy, you know, the best idea, and that's why you need speech. You need people saying, you know what? Wait a minute. It was John Stuart Mill in On Liberty Chapter 2. He gives three reasons why free speech matters. And I just said Frederick Douglass is probably the best free speech advocate. This is probably the point for free speech I use the most to convince folks. He says there are three options. One, and you're 100% right. And it's very unlikely you're 100% right. But then you use your speech to convince others. Two, you're 80% right or so. And other people, by debating you, are going to help you clarify your message Mm -hmm. and get to the 100% right. Or number three, you're just absolutely wrong. And by expressing yourself to a wide array of people, you're going to find out what the right answer is. And it's going to be better for everyone who listened. Yeah. Wow. These are really powerful arguments. It is, and it's such an important issue. Is this something that has been, you've been doing this for a couple of years, but is this an issue for you that predates your work with fire? It, it does a little a bit. You know, issue. Back in my misspent youth, I was PhD track at a you know American Institute of Higher Education. And I, I was teaching a class. It was first semester for these freshmen, real bright group. And a, a kid, kid, he's, you know, some 18 yeah, sure. year old guy comes to my office hours. A few years younger than you, right? Yeah. At the time, a few <laughs> years younger than me. He comes to my office hours and he goes, you know, Connor, how can you be such a vocal conservative on this campus? I've campaigned in West Virginia. I've campaigned in Ohio. I know what a vocal conservative is. I can't hide my political bend. But that was like a smack in the face. And I said, look, you need to hear these viewpoints. You need to be tested. I'm not here trying to propagandize. I want you to think. I want you to feel challenged. And it made me step back and realize, wow, this guy came to college not expecting. It wasn't that he was against it. He objected to it. He didn't expect Mm. to get that kind of idea, that kind of pushback from any professor. So I was like, you know what? Maybe as much as I would love a nice professor job, teaching American political development, all the good, you know, yeah, the good yeah. and the bad of history we have. Yeah. Maybe I can affect some greater change and still get the benefit of working in higher ed yeah. if I go find organizations like FIRE. Yeah. What are some of the challenges that you faced as either an organization or as you out on the streets, so to speak? You've brought up some of the questions. Oh, free speech is just a tool of the powerful. I don't think it is. You can point back to all those movements. And it, it really is an education game. On the college campus in particular, we expect students at 18 years old to step foot on a college campus with an understanding of free speech in the First Amendment. I don't think we can, right? Mm. It's, it's proven. Mm. You have shout-down after shout-down. So universities should be teaching it, right? Wrong. They're not. Mm. Last time I looked, about 2020, only 18% of colleges and universities even required a basic survey course in U.S. history or government. So they're not getting it in K-12. through They're not getting it in higher ed, which means they're going right into the workforce with no understanding of free speech principles and how it helps them. So educating the youth all the way up to, you know, folks our age is valuable. And it is truly just connecting those dots. The beauty of free speech is it's a benefit to everybody. And you you can look at anyone here or on Mm -hmm, the street mm -hmm. and you can connect them to some kind of free speech movement over the years. Yeah. I want to ask you one more question. And it goes back to the culture piece. You're out there advocating in sort of the outside the educational world, mm-hmm. per se. How much of the advocacy for a culture of free speech applies to, say, a private institution? So you have a business, mm-hmm. they have, let's say, 100 employees, and you're convincing the business owner that a culture of free speech is really good. Now, you're not going to tell him how to run his business, mm-hmm. obviously, but there is a possibility that that's misapplied in a private institution or business mm-hmm. or whatever in a way that may not actually benefit that institution. How do you parse the idea of like public speech versus you're on my property, mm-hmm. I can tell you what you yeah. can say and not say? So it's been an issue we faced in higher ed for years. 
public school is easy. They're bound by the First mm -hmm. Amendment. A private school isn't. That's why, you know, we love things like free expression statements, the Chicago Statement of Freedom of Expression. Yes. You know, a school adopts that, puts it into their handbook, suddenly it becomes a contract issue. We look at speech codes on college campuses for the same kind of thing. If you're promising a true, you know, free expression environment in one section of your handbook, but you have a policy here that may chill speech in another, you need to justify that because you're being hypocritical. A private company is a bit tougher. You know, Twitter, they want to be the marketplace of ideas, for mm -hmm. instance. We would love to see them have very transparent policies of how they're going to govern themselves. Yep, yep. We would like more speech is always better, but you hit the nail on the head. They're a private company. It's why fires, if I had to describe fire in three different departments, we have a top tier litigation team. When that free speech law needs defending, yep. they're the ones. But we also have a research team, surveys, publications to see what the people think, see what folks using these platforms think, see what students think. And then we have a public awareness and public advocacy team who is making those cultural arguments and trying to appeal to the good in human nature at these private companies. But it is a tougher hill to climb. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this. It is a very, very important issue to me. It's one of the top three that are important to me. And Connor, I hope to connect with you even after Freedom Fest and we can maybe do some more conversations, dive into some yeah. of those issues Happy as well. Happy to. I love what you guys are doing. The, you know, the world needs to hear these discussions. Yeah. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Thank you.